People do need the Lord, don't they? But we need Him not just for our salvation. We need Him in life, too, every day. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today, verse 34. We'll look at one verse today as we look forward to receiving and taking up our Faith Promise Missions offering. And again, if you're not a member of our church, you're just visiting with us today, we, we in no way, no way expect you to give to this, obviously. This is for members of our church. These are for people that are committed to the, the ministry of Community Baptist Temple that are giving regularly, consistently, faithfully in their tithes and offerings. We just want you to understand you're our guest today. And again, it just happens that you come on a day when we talk about our faith promise. And this is important to us. Just like you discuss your finances in your home with your family, we have to discuss ours from time to time. It helps us to know where we're at, and it helps us to know where we're going. And so today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, I want to read just one verse today, and then we're going to continue uh, this morning. The Bible says in chapter 15, verse 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In the passage, we note a couple of things. Number one, we note the command. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Listen, God has a desire and a design for every believer, and what He wants from us is righteousness, holiness. He wants us not to sin. And so often we are so bent towards sin, aren't we? This old flesh, no matter how saved we are, really is drawn to the flesh, drawn to sin. And it's so difficult at times to overcome the flesh and to be victorious in this life over it. But in this passage, we are commanded, we are told, awake to righteousness. Don't be asleep concerning this issue. Don't fall asleep thinking that you're just fine. Don't fail to think for a moment and reflect on your own life, your own attitude, your own actions. Really think it through. Really allow yourself the opportunity to to consider it, to evaluate your life. Awake to righteousness and sin not. He goes on to say, not only the command do we see, but the complaint. For some have not the knowledge of God. So obviously what he's saying is, some do not know about God. Some do not have the knowledge of God. And the reason they don't is because we have yet to awake. We have yet to realize that our sin keeps us from being the witness we ought to be, keeps us from sharing the gospel to the degree we ought to. And we need to realize it's time to wake up and sin not, arise to righteousness so that the world can see Jesus Christ and know about the God who created all things. But he says, unfortunately, awake to righteousness and not for some have not the knowledge of God. We see the command, the complaint, but then the condemnation here. He says, I speak this to your shame. He says, some don't have the knowledge of God. Some don't know who Jesus Christ is. Some don't know about the cross that he died on and the tomb he was buried in and how it rolled away that stone that morning and Jesus rose and is alive forevermore. Some do not know that He offers His salvation freely to those who will call upon Him and simply ask. Some don't know about the God who created the universe, loves us so much. I speak this, He says, to your shame. To your shame. And we ask ourselves, why? 
Why is he so condemning? Why is he telling us we ought to be ashamed of ourselves for the world not knowing? I mean, we can't be responsible for everybody. We can't tell everyone about Jesus. We can't honestly be expected to make an impact in our culture and our society that literally reaches out to the whole world. Are you kidding me? That seems unrealistic. So why would I be ashamed of myself? I do my best. I try my hardest. I do what I can. Really? I want to give you three reasons why the Lord condemns us and says we ought to be ashamed because there are still some in this world who do not have the knowledge of God. There are still people who have never heard about Jesus or know about the cross or know that He saves. Three reasons why we ought to be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership now as we gather this great day, the 20th of October, our faith promise offering, giving us all an opportunity to participate in reaching a world with the gospel. Now, Father, may you speak to us and use us today. Help us, Father, to be yielded to you. We want to honor you with our life and our lips. Fill me now, and may you be glorified in these next few minutes. We only have a few, Lord. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Why the condemnation? Why in the world would he say we ought to be ashamed? I mean, we live in a generation today where you're not allowed to tell somebody you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Because nobody should feel ashamed. You should always feel like everything's fine. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, no matter what you say. You should never make your children feel guilty. I mean, that's the kind of mentality, the kind of attitude that seems to be being permeated from our local school systems and our local governments that nobody's allowed to feel like they've done something wrong. You know what? That's your decision. You live how you want. I live how I want. Everybody's right. Nobody's wrong. Let me tell you something. In this book, there are some things that define what God wants and what He doesn't want. And what He does want is the world to know about Him. And He says to the church over there in Corinth, He says, listen, you, you church need to understand. You need to awake to righteousness and sin not. You know what? Some have not the knowledge of God. And I'm telling you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's what He's basically saying. Why? There's three reasons why we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Because the world doesn't know about God or have the knowledge of God. Number one, our relationship. Our relationship. The first reason we ought to be ashamed is our relationship. You say, wait a second. Oh, hold on. Let me finish. Let me me get to this thing. Our relationship. First of all, when I'm talking about our relationship, I'm talking about our relationship to God. Watch now. Everybody ought to know about Him Because of our relationship to Him. First of all, our relationship provides us with its Christ's presence. Christ's presence. Turn, if you would, to John 14, 16. John 14, 16. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you not only receive salvation, but you receive His presence. He literally comes and makes His abode in you. 
And therefore, everyone in this room that comprises or makes up the church is all part of the same person, Jesus Christ. We are baptized into Him, and He is in us. Notice what it says in John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, Jesus told His disciples, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him. How do I know Him? For He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Let's say that together. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That means that Christ is in you today, if you know Him as Savior and Lord. He literally lives in you. He goes on to say, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Remember Jesus, He is the, he is the Prince of Peace. He therefore is the Comforter, and He brings us comfort and strength, and He lives in us. Therefore, we have access to peace and comfort every day, all day. Christ's presence. See, the presence of Christ is such a blessing, it's such a benefit, that it is called a treasure in the Word of God. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or excuse me, 4, verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We literally have Christ in us. It's an amazing truth. See, there's not one possession that you have, not one thing in this world more valuable or beneficial than the presence of Christ in your life. And if we are to treasure or cherish anything in this life, it ought to be the reality of Christ in us. That He literally lives in me. And that reality provides us with unlimited potential and supernatural opportunities then. And that is why the Lord could leave a small band of disciples behind and then assign them the daunting task of reaching the world with the gospel. Because He was in them. Because of their relationship, they had Christ's presence. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. I am with you always, he says, even to the end of the world. Amen. So because of our relationship, we have Christ's presence. But not only that, we have Christ's power then. If His presence is with us, we now have His power. We have access to His power. See, Christ's power is always available when in His presence. Do you know what keeps us out of God's presence as a believer? Oh, here it is. This is so good. And yet it is extremely scary to me. What did He say? Awake to righteousness and sin not. You realize, although Christ lives in you, although you may be born again or saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, do you realize for a moment that just like a child in a home may still be a child no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter where they end up in life, they still, in order to have proper fellowship with mom and dad, have to obey, have to live right, Because when their attitude is rebellion and disobedience, it causes friction. And the fellowship is broken. Not because love is not there, but because obedience and because righteousness has waxed or waned or gone away. 
You must live right. I must live right. We must awaken to righteousness. We must live holy lives because He is holy. And therefore, we cannot literally be in His presence, enjoy the power of Jesus Christ in our life without holiness. That's why it says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Because that is, it's the whole... The whole premise of this passage is predicated on the fact that we must be right with God or we'll never be able to help people know Him. Yes, amen. That's good. Christ's power. John 15, verse 5. Turn there if you would, please. What a great passage this is. Talking about His, his presence, yes, but His power. It's available. He lives in us if we know Christ as Savior. John 15, 5. Notice what it says here. He says... Jesus speaking again, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. First of all, note the resources available to you and I. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he says. A vine provides the branches with all the nutrients, the minerals that's needed for it to grow. It provides everything needed to live to prosper, to produce. We have Christ in us. And He is the vine and we are the branches. Therefore, we have power to accomplish everything and anything that He calls us to. We see the resource, but notice the relationship again. He that abideth in me and I in Him. It is a decision that you and I make to abide in Christ. I can choose to abide in Christ. Cody, stand up, would you please? Cody's going to represent Jesus Christ. Stand right there in front of the cross, please. This is as simple as it is. I make a decision every day of my life, sometimes every hour, and even sometimes every minute, to abide in Christ or not, to abide in Him or not to. I make that decision. And you want to know something? You make that decision. There Christ is all the time. Here He is. He's available. The Bible says, draw nigh to Him. And he will draw nigh to you. You draw nigh to him, he just got closer. You draw nigh to him, he just got closer. We make this big thing. Well, if I draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to me. He'll choose me. He'll love me. He'll finally have favor on me. No, it's your decision. You get closer to him, he gets closer to you. You draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. So you make the decision to abide in Christ or not to, and so do I. What a wonderful truth that is. Thank you, Cody. In this particular passage, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, listen, I'm the one that will provide you with the nutrients, the minerals, with the ability, the, the power to overcome obstacles, to ultimately prosper in this life. But listen, he says, he that abideth in me, and I in him. He says, the relationship is this. You have to get close to me. You have to abide in me. And the result of abiding in Christ, drawing from the vine, he goes on to say, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Someone says, we've got to figure out why we're not seeing more people saved. We've got to figure out why we're not seeing the church prosper, why we're not seeing God blessing homes like He used to, why we're not seeing changed lives like it used to be. Can I just tell you, it's all right there in that verse. It's all right there. They, the resource is always the same. It's Jesus Christ. He's always been the vine, always will be the vine, and we will always be the branches. That is consistent. It never changes. Do you know what the problem is? We're not abiding, because if we would abide in Him the way we ought to abide, then the Bible says the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
If we were abiding in Christ, we'd see more fruit. The truth is, it's an abiding problem. I don't abide with Christ like I ought to. I'd see more blessing in my life and in my family and in my church and in my outreach and in my ministry. So would you, though. We've got to abide in Christ. He is the solution. He's the answer. He is the everything. He is all in all, he tells us. The reality, we see it here. For without me, ye can do nothing. Without me, ye can do nothing. You realize you can't do anything. We want you to reach the world with the gospel, church. If we don't abide in him, we can do nothing. You can't do it. It'll seem like a task that's impossible. It'll, just be, it'll be impossible to complete, to get done. Wives, submit to your husbands. Even as, as the church, uh, uh, even as Christ, wait. Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, let's stop right there. I can't do that. I know you can't, unless you're abiding in Him, Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for... I can't do that. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You can if you abide in Christ. It's amazing what you can do if you're really close to Jesus. We've got to get close to Christ. The result, the relationship, the, excuse me, the resources, the relationship, the result, the reality. See, there's no power greater than God in seeing us, or He in us, I should say. I mean, Him in us is the key to everything. 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have com- overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Matthew 19, 26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Wow. Wait a second. He says, You know what, church? He says, There are people that do not have the knowledge of God. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself that they don't have the knowledge of God. First of all, because of your relationship with me. You have this relationship with me. I live in you. You have my presence and you have my power. Why aren't you telling others? Why aren't you reaching the world? Why do people, why are there people that don't know about me in light of your relationship? Number two, not only our relationship, but our resources. Our resources. I think about resources, I think of a couple things. Number one, I think of our talents. Everybody in the room has talent. You say, I don't have any talent. Yes, you do. You may not know what that is exactly. You may not have it uh, honed in. You may not have practiced. There are people in this room that could probably play piano, but you never practiced. There are people, listen, I want to start an orchestra over in the other building. I want an orchestra. There are probably people that can play instruments and say, I can't play that good. Yeah, but if you practiced and worked at it, you could because God gave you an ability. Gave you a talent. You say, oh, no, you got to work at things. You don't get like this unless you work at it. Okay, so maybe, I haven't been working real hard, obviously, but nonetheless, you got to work at it. Our talent. See, God's given us abilities for one reason. Listen to me, one reason. And that reason is to advance his cause. You say, well, I can sing some. Why aren't you singing? What? You, God give you the ability to sing, and you're not going to sing for Him? Who are you singing for? Because if you really love singing, you're going to sing for somebody. Well, what? You aren't going to sing for Him. He created you. He lives in you. He died for you. He gave everything for you. And the only reason, the only reason He gave you that ability is to ultimately, ultimately advance His cause. 
It wasn't so you could stand up on The Voice and have accolades and people cheering you on. Yay! Oh, that's the greatest voice I've ever heard. No. It wasn't so you could marry, win America's, what, America's greatest talent or something like that? Yes, America's Got Talent. Or to get on Rachel Ray and sing a song. That's not why God gave us a talent. He gave us talent to sing for Him, to glorify Him. You want to get on, on Rachel Ray and sing a song, you sing Amazing Grace. And then you tell Him, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. You only get to heaven one way through Jesus. The world uses talents that God gave them for many different reasons. But they were intended to be used by Him and for Him. He says, your resources. you got all this talent that I've given you, abilities I've given you. Someone says, I can garden. Why aren't you gardening for the church? You need to. You say, I never thought of it that way. Good. Well, yeah, you know. You say, I'm a good administrator. I'm really good at organizing things. First of all, do you believe that or did somebody tell you that? Some people think they're good singers too. So we do have to be careful with some of that. Just because someone comes to me and says, preacher, I can run this. Okay. Let's find out first, all right? Let's start simple. Let's first be a helper in a Sunday school class before you're running the whole Sunday school. You get where I'm going with that. Okay, does anybody understand that? Let's be faithful to church first, too. That, that'd be a good thing. But our talent. Not only that, but our technology. Think about our resources. Think about our technology today. It's an amazing thing, technology. Think about the advances, advancements in medicine. You know one of the reasons we're having problems uh, with, with war right now and, and, and all these young men coming back is that they're, they're living now. You realize men didn't live when they were in, wounded in battle the way they're living today? The, the medical technology has allowed us to, to deal with brain injuries and body injuries and things like never before. And so we've got this whole generation, this whole group of young men and young ladies coming back with injuries that in the past would have never lived through it. And now they're living. And so now there's issues with finances and how they're going to deal with them and how we're going to take care of them. And we're building facilities to try to meet their needs where before we never needed those because of the technology. World War II, go back to the, the Civil War. People didn't live. You got shot. You probably got gangrene. You died. You don't die from gangrene usually anymore. You may lose a portion of a limb, but you usually don't die from it because of the technology. We have some tremendous technological advances. Medicine. What about our environment itself? Think about the treatment of water. Think about sanitation. There were places in the world you'd go, you would die because you'd get dysentery and other problems and complications, and you died. Now... You can go to different countries around the world and drink the water even. That's amazing. Some places you don't want to, but still, it's totally different. It, the, 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 the advancements in environment. What about communications? Think about communication advancements. Email, texting, Skype, telephone. Think about satellite communications and the abilities that we have through satellite communication. Think about even the television today. And think about travel. And think about the World Wide Web. Consider those outlets and those abilities. People couldn't just get on a plane and fly across the country a number of years ago. They couldn't go over the sea and fall to another nation or another, another country. It just didn't work that way. Now it does. It took you three months to travel across the Atlantic or two months. Now you get over there in a few hours. Six-hour flight from New York to, to, to land in Germany. I mean, are you kidding me? 
And there we are to witness, to share, to tell others of Christ. He says, listen, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, church, when you think about your, our, your, our relationship with Christ. And when you think about the resources that are available to you, when you think about all the talents I've given you and all the technology that you have to reach the world with the gospel today. Not only that, but our treasures. Our treasures. Someone says, we're broke. No, we're not. We're one of the richest nations in the world still. Our standard of living is as good as it gets compared to the rest of the world. Take a drive over to the Philippines sometimes, or fly over there, I should say, and just check it out. See how they live. I mean, just ask yourself, I mean, what do I have that, well, I don't have nothing. Oh, yeah, compared to them, have you ever even looked at a picture yet? You look at any of these missionary pictures, I know some of them were in very advanced nations. I mean, even the, the city over there in India that, that our missionary is thinking about going to, man, very, very technologically sound, very up to beat, very... But he said most people in India are on the, on the outskirts of India and they're dealing with tribes and they're dealing with, with kind of third world conditions. And folks, listen, go to Mexico, go to the Philippines, go to a number of different countries around the world and you will realize that we are more blessed than you can imagine financially and in our standard of living. Even those on public assistance are blessed with food, shelter, and big screen TVs. I mean that. I mean, are you kidding me? Well, we've got money for things today that we didn't have money for. You, we don't just work to live today. We work to not work. Well, we do things to have more comfort, more leisure. Somebody works 40 hours a week, they think they've bent over backwards to provide for their family. Men used to have two jobs just a generation, two generations ago. Two full-time jobs just to provide for their families. Just to put food on the table, to put some clothes on someone's back, to, to put a roof over their head. Had to work 16 hours a day. And yet it seemed like husbands and wives got along. It seemed like children and families did okay. What's wrong with us? We have more than ever in our country, in our culture. We have so much. We spend more on Christmas in our homes than most families make in a year in many places around the world. We said over there in Haiti, most people don't. Most people make uh, no more than two dollars, two dollars a week. Was it no two dollars a day, two dollars a day? And the majority, uh, the many of them make no more than one dollar a day. Can you imagine that? But we're broke. God says you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself when you think about your resources, all the talents I've given you, all the abilities that you have. When you think about the technolog technological advancements that have been made and how you can reach the world like that compared to the days of the apostles. I mean, here they were, you know, on the back of a mule or, or walking with those two feet that God gave them, trying to cross the country in, in a pair of sandals. We make a plane flight and we fly across the world. And then our treasures, he says, come on, quit, quit lying to yourself, church. You got more than you think. Quit it. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. People are starving over there. Starving with the, without the gospel. They don't even have the knowledge of God. And you're worried about the next tie you buy. You're worried about that new pair of Nikes. You'll spend your $80 on your shoes. But you don't have a dime to tell and make sure somebody has a knowledge of God. It's a sad commentary 
And that is exactly where our church is today. When I say our church, I'm talking about the Church of Christ. There are a number of people that give very, very faithfully and generously here. Thank God for those. But let me tell you something. There's nothing different than the Corinthian church than there is today. He's saying, awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. When you consider your relationship with me, when you consider the resources you have available, and finally, last, when you consider, we consider our responsibility. Our responsibility. We have a responsibility to stand today. That's a biblical responsibility. That's not something that we have a choice. We're responsible to do so. When we get to heaven one day, if we've not stood for Jesus Christ and the faith, we'll stand ashamed. That's not voluntary. That's not like you get to choose. What, well, God, I decided not to stand. I mean, I know you told me in the Bible. I, I kind of thought that was just something I got to choose. And I preferred not to. God's going to go, well, too bad. You're going to be you're ashamed now, aren't you? Yeah, you'll be ashamed. And so will I if we don't stand. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand therefore. See, we must stand firm. He says, withstand in the evil day. You're going to be pushed off the marks of the... I remember, anybody ever play... Uh, um, what's that? Uh, King of the Mountain? I've played that all the time. I loved it. When you're a winner, you love playing games like that. Come on, get me off the mountain. Remember that? Man, we'd go at it for, seemed like hours. King of the Mountain. What, what it was is you're going to stand there and somebody's going to try to pull you off that mountain. Somebody's going to try to shake your feet and get you uh, off that firm ground. And you know what? That's what the devil's trying to do to you as a Christian. You get on the mountain, you get right with God, you get things going in your life, you're serving Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden the devil shows up and tries to shake you up. Tries to knock you off the mountain. The Bible tells us we've got to stand firm. We've got to stand firm. But not only that, we've got to stand faithful. Stand faithful. He says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Just stand. Even when you don't feel like it, just stand. Even when you want to quit, just stand. When you give up, just stand. Just do it. I don't feel like it. I don't care. Stand. God, God just says, stand. Be faithful. Stand. If you will stand, I'll come alongside. You abide in me. You just go, draw nigh to me. You keep standing, though. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. You just keep going. Our responsibility to stand. Our responsibility to serve. He says in Romans 12:1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Serving God is not unreasonable. Serving God is not unreasonable. It is very reasonable. When God asks us to be faithful in church, God asks us to be faithful in our giving, God asks us to be faithful in our going, He's not being unreasonable. Not after everything He's done for us. It's not unreasonable. And by the way, do you realize something? And this is what we've got to get out of our head. We've got to figure this out. Do you realize that when you serve God the way he desires and demands, that it's you and your family that benefits? If you haven't figured that out, it's because you're not doing it for the right reason then, apparently. 
You, you can serve God without a relationship with Him, by the way. You can serve God and not have a relationship with Him. You can go through the motions and play the game and, you know, put on the ties, the suits, and the dresses, and all the stuff and go, I love Jesus, and not have a clue who He is. You say, I just don't see... Oh, well, just turn over to Matthew chapter 7 sometime. Won't they say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done this and done that? He'll say, I never knew you. Never even knew you. It's reasonable. We see the petition in the passage. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I'm beseeching you, he says. I'm begging you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the presentation that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Man, present yourself. Here I am, available for duty, Lord. Anything you want me to do? As little, as large. Doesn't matter to me, because I'm not doing it for anybody, so it doesn't matter. I'll do it over and over and over again. I'll knock on doors even when nobody gets saved. I'll read my Bible even when I don't feel like I'm getting, you know, some golden nuggets every day. I'm going to keep praying even though I haven't heard your voice in my mind for the last two weeks. Seems like my prayers are hitting the ceiling, but Lord, I'm going to stay at it. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep bothering you every day because that's what pleases you. And I'm doing it for you, not for me. I don't do this, Lord, just so you can keep my marriage together. And I don't do this just so you can keep my children safe. And I don't do this just so you can keep mom and dad happy. I do this for you. And it doesn't matter what you bring in my life. I love you and I'll serve you because that's why I do it. We get that figured out. Then all of a sudden, we ain't going to be running out the door every time tragedy strikes in our life. Every time situations come that we can't deal with. Every time our finances fall and get flushed down the toilet. Every time our wife gets upset with us or our husband decides to leave us, we won't leave the church and we won't leave Jesus because we don't do it for that. We do it for Him. See, the perspective is simply this, which is your reasonable service. That's why you do it. It's just reasonable. Okay, Lord, that's true. I'll just do it. Makes sense to me. After everything you've done. And finally, responsible to stand, to serve, and finally to share. In Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria and of the othermost part of the earth. You're going to be witnesses. Witnesses of His glory. Witnesses of His goodness. Witnesses of His gift of eternal life. That's what He wants us to do. We have a responsibility to do that. In Acts 26, 18, he told the Apostle Paul, you're going to be going to the Gentile to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's what God wants us to do. Turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. We talked about Haiti this week. That was one of our around-the-world segments. Voodoo. One of the sayings was, uh, Haitians are 70% Catholic, 30% Protestant, and 100% Voodoo. That was, uh, that's what the statement is. And it was made by a, a reporter who's been taking pictures and reporting on that, that issue for 10 years now. That's the saying. That's what it is. Listen to me. Who, who's going to make a difference in their life? How many independent, fundamental Baptist churches are over there making an impact and a difference right now? You know, we got missionaries that are on the outside of the country driving in every once in a while, dropping off a few supplies, dropping off a few Bibles, but they don't want to live in Haiti because it's too poor. 
Because even with all their American money, they still got to live like Haitians to some degree. Whatever happened to the pioneer spirit? Whatever happened to suffering for Jesus? Whatever happened to doing what it takes to reach the world with the gospel? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, church, because there are people without the knowledge of God. That's what he's saying. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Why? For some have not the knowledge of God. And then he just nails us right between the eyes. I speak this to your shame. We're going to take up an offering in just a few moments. It's not going to fix the whole problem. It's not. Well, who's, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it will. But it's something. It's something. What part will this church play in fulfilling the Great Commission and doing our best to make sure that everyone has the knowledge of God? At least the knowledge. That doesn't mean they're going to accept Him, but they've got to at least know about Him. I wonder today, do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? Because that's what's most important here today, at least if you're lost. If you're not lost, then what we just talked about is most important. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're not confident in that decision, you need Jesus Christ. You need Him. And He, he wants you. He loves you. Come to Him today. Come to Him today. We're talking about everybody around the world, but there could be somebody right in our midst that needs Him. God is real. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again the third day. And He loves you and wants you to receive Him into your life and be your Savior. He wants to do that for you. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for all you've done for us. Lord, we thank you as we think about the fact that our relationship and our resources and ultimately, Lord, our responsibilities truly are sufficient to make us faithful in helping others know you. Honestly, Lord, I... I don't do as much as I could, I'm sure. Lord, I just pray, dear God, that you'd help each of us today as we pray and as we seek your face. Help us, Lord, to ask ourselves, what are we doing so that people know about God, about you? Not just in our missions giving, but even in our own lives and in our own community and in our own daily walk here in, in America even. Because, Lord, every week, a child comes into our services for the bus ministry that's never heard about Jesus. Lord, they need to know about Him. They need the knowledge of God. Help us, Lord, we pray today. And Lord, if there's someone here lost without Christ, may they not waste any time, but just settle it. Come right in front. Say, Lord, say, say, Lord, I need you. And, and, and preacher, I'm going to need that Lord that you've been talking about. I need the Lord. And He'll come, He'll come into your life. He'll make a difference in your life. You just have to come saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you in my life. I want to be your child. He'll save you. He'll forgive you. Father, bless us now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed as the music plays. Won't you come? Won't you come? I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I haven't settled that issue. I, 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 I know about God at least, preacher, but... 
I can't honestly say that there's been a time and place when I've invited Christ into my life, when I have truly trusted and received Him as my Savior, my Lord. I need to settle that today, preacher. Won't you come? Won't you come? Let us help you today. Let, let God's Word help you. Maybe you're a child of God, you just need to pray. Maybe there's family and friends that, as we're talking about missions and about the knowledge of God, there's folks in your own family that really know nothing about the Lord. And if they do, it's because maybe they went to a wedding or a funeral or they <clears throat> dealt with something in the past. And that's about the closest they've gotten to church or the Lord is just maybe being at a function like that. But maybe God is speaking to you about taking that next step, about speaking to them writing them, calling them, encouraging them, sharing with them who God is, who His Son is, and how He can make a difference in their life, like He made a difference in your life. See, you wouldn't be here if the Lord hasn't done something for you. Now, you might even be lost today, but God has done something to bring you here, to, to kind of get your attention, to show you that He loves you, that He cares. We start to close this altar call. I need all my ushers in the back, please, or at least get some of those cards. I hope you have them. If you need one of those cards today for the missions and you don't have one to fill out, we're going to take the, the offering here in just a moment. We're going to move quickly. But just raise your hand real quick. They'll get that to you while the, we're finishing up with our altar call here. We've got a few hands up front over here that just need them. I know you may already have your card. You, we passed them out last week, I know. But if you need one, just raise it. They'll just get one to you. And then we're going to go ahead and take that collection up in just a moment. And then again, we'll take it up tonight one more time, and then we'll get the totals. We'll add them up this afternoon, and then we'll add the totals for the night together and see where we're at. And then, of course, I know over the next few weeks, there'll be others that will be giving as well, but we'll see where we fall here tonight. But again, just raise your hand. We'll get that to you if you need it. Today we also have coming the Dixons to join our church and be part of our church family. We're so excited to have them with us. And As we dismiss today, you'll have an opportunity to let them know how much you appreciate them being a part of our ministry and our church. And We look forward to being a blessing to them, but we know that they too are looking forward to be a blessing to the church. And When we join a church, we, we participate in the church, we get involved in the church, and that's a wonderful thing to be a part of it. And we're so glad to have them as a part of it. Well. If the Dixons, you've been, feel free to take your place back there in your seats. And then we're going to go ahead and take up our offering here in just a moment. And then we'll go ahead and dismiss. Let's all have a seat right where we're at. For